As the Meeple guys and I talk about various types of games, I just hope you don't get bored. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. I am your host, Jay Arnold. Welcome to episode 51. I am joined by the Welsh wizard himself, Mike Hobbs. Hello, Mike. Hello, Jay. How are you, mate? I'm doing fine. But before we get too far into it, we also have to introduce our other guest, Neil the Brummy Dwarf Shuck. Neil, how are you? Oh, it's good to hear somebody else say that. It's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Jay. I am well. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was loath to say it, but I figure why why go against it? So <laughs> yes, I will go. Normally, you can't give yourself your own nickname, but I'm willing to make an exception, and we'll go with Brummy Dwarf. Thank you. I I I am forever in your debt. <laughs> That's it. So it, it's official. There it is. It's official. Someone else actually used your nickname for you. So, <laughs> so we we have a long-standing tradition when either of the Meeple's guys are on the Veteran Wargamer. We have to talk about baked goods. We have to perpetuate Dunkgate. <laughs> and in the show notes, I did put, please have some type of baked good and beverage to discuss. And so we'll kick it around the room uh, and we'll get started with uh, with Mike. What are you eating? What are you drinking? Oh, uh, good question. We'll ask uh, Jake. At the moment, I have a um, half a mug of uh, hot tea, uh, white, one sugar, uh, PG tips of choice. And to accompany that, I have um, three wonderful plain chocolate digestive biscuits. Obviously, they are mm. McVitie's plain chocolate digestive okay. biscuits. Now, now, pl- okay. now, a plain chocolate digestive is, um, is some would say, um, a very posh choice uh, of biscuits, Mr. Hobbs. Uh, however, uh, others would say it is the superior to its milk cousin. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. I mean, milk, chocolate digesters have their place, Neil, but not on a Sunday morning. For me, it's always the plain. Not quite as good as a plain chocolate hobnob, though. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Again, you know, plain chocolate has its place, and for me, it's on a digestive. Hobnob needs the the creaminess of the milk chocolate. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but... Once again, I'm afraid the plain chocolate goodness of a hob plain chocolate half covered hobnob. I mean, I'm sorry, it is superior to its milk variant. There is, just, I'm sorry, there is just no discussion in that. It is hands down the best half covered hobnob. I, I, well, you know, um, I have to disagree, Neil. I think you're just talking madness there. It, it comes from your northern ways. <laughs> indeed. Uh, yes. yes, indeed. Yes, yes. Because, yes, because obviously Birmingham is in the north of England. Yes, indeed. It is uh, compared to Wales. 
<laughs> now I, I have to ask. I have to ask. Having having had hobnobs, which I enjoy greatly, and we have discussed this. Um, is there is there a difference in the biscuit cookie material between a McVitie's digestive and a hobnob, oh, or are they basically same thing? No, no, they're, they're, oh, just, Jay, 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 Jay. <laughs> it's like comparing a, a Lamborghini and a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> they're completely different animals. You know, you may as well say, is um, a chicken breast the same as a lamb chop? <laughs> okay, well, okay. Th- th- Think of it. Th- think of it this way: if, if, if a digestive is a smooth peanut butter, then mm-hmm. a hobnob is a crunchy peanut butter, where that crunchiness is oats, not peanuts. You see, I'm 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 starting to I'm I'm starting to get into my metaphors already. You see, you're yeah, definitely it, pushing it, that metaphor. Yeah, it, yeah. It, <laughs> in preparation for today's discussion, but uh, but yeah, um, uh, yeah. Uh, no, they're completely different. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I I should note I should note that during our brief discussion prior to recording, um, I I may have to hold any and all comments, Neil, that you have on this topic suspect. Because isn't it true that you did not bring a baked good and beverage well, to the recording okay, well, as specifically indicated in the okay, instructions? Well, um, I have to question your dedication to baked goods. Okay. Um, well, I'm for, well, podcasting as a whole. Just... Right, okay. <laughs> my beverage of choice. Uh, my beverage of choice at the moment is actually a bottle of fizzy water. Um, Primarily because uh, it's only on very special occasions, uh, such as uh, 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 such as meeting up with my uh, long last podcasting buddy, as we did yesterday, that I that I am currently uh, that I currently have coffee. Um, or it would normally be coffee, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 trying to be good. As I say, same with same with the beverage of choice. Uh, sorry, the the baked good. Normally, under normal circumstances, um, I would have, uh, I would, I would potentially have a baked good. Uh, and in fact, anybody who's seen me, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, uh, my, my enjoyment of baked goods is it uh, is there in you know is there uh, abundantly for people to tell from my stature, uh, which is why I'm being good because I've got to go and see my diabetic nurse tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so no, so, I get so you know okay. i uh, so yes i am taking uh, uh, I, I unfortunately at this point and, and of course you see the other thing is uh, i have to point this out that obviously uh i have been inspired inspired by uh by a fellow friend and podcaster uh, a, cer- uh, a certain mr hyde of uh, of the southern mm. parish uh who uh, who has been tweeting that not only has um, has uh, his health vastly improved, uh, but he even went out running yesterday. Uh, so, what from? <laughs> it could be anything, Joe. <laughs> yeah, there is yeah, there is this there was something in the back of my mind. Is like, yeah, yes, the only reason to run is that if yes, Mm-mm. yeah. That was brilliant. Yeah, uh, but, 
<laughs> so so yes, I um yes, I am attempting to, I, I am attempting to be good. Um so uh yes, le- but letting the side down in the process, I can only offer my humble apologies. Fair enough, fair enough. And in in all seriousness, Henry, bravo for uh your recent uh foray back into the world of health and fitness and well not recent, just uh upping the game, I should say. So in in a nod to uh in a nod to your uh attempts at uh increasing your fitness, I, I have to celebrate by eating the biscuit. Uh Eating a, a cookie of uh, of a particularly superior uh, form in the in the realm of a Keebler coconut dream, I have I've talked about the Girl Scout cookie known as the Samoa or the Caramel Delight, which is a kind of a shortbread type of cookie, round with a hole in the middle, with uh, covered in chocolatey fudge caramel and coconut and normal it used to be you could only get them from the girl scouts when they were selling them in the first part of the in the first part of the year but now the good folks at keebler who i believe are a contractor for the for the girl scouts have released the same thing under their own brand name of coconut dream and gentlemen i must tell you that they are a dream and they are delicious and i'm just going to have a bite real quick Oh, that's good stuff. That's very nice. So, I know I, I, not this past Christmas, but the Christmas before, I sent you guys some American Ooh, yes. cookies to share amongst yourselves. Mm. And uh, I got to say, I might send you some for Easter because these are, this would be a nice addition to the Easter table. If they make it. Yeah, I was going to say, looking at the postage last time, Jay, you... you, you <laughs> madness. Absolute madness. <laughs> yes. What, I only spent 50 bucks to send you guys $15 worth of cookies. <laughs> yeah, and they're lovely. I've, I've fallen in love with the um, the, the peanutty ones. Oh, yes. They, 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 yeah, they were particularly good. Mm. Yes, indeed. What's even better is my local... Uh, oh, nutty, the Nutty yeah, Buddies, my, yeah. And my local shop sells them, so... Uh, which makes which makes Jay even more mm. enthused that he spends yeah. that much money to send you something that you could go around the corner for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next time, Jay, send us a list, and we'll tell you what we can get over here. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I'm, I would bet you can't get coconut dreams slash Samoas slash caramel delights. So I will. I will definitely be sending these bad boys over because they are. Scrum delicious, as we say, but let's. There's enough. That's enough time talking about cookies. This isn't the cookie, the veteran cookie eater, although we are. Uh, we're here to talk about. Well, first we wanted to talk about the line between board games and miniature games, because I think there's there's definitely a, a rich vein to be tapped there. Um. But I'm thinking we might want to talk about the 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 tent, as it were. The I use the the metaphor of the the hobby being a a big tent. And a recent comment on Twitter 
is really making me wonder exactly how big that tent is, not only in what we, how we pursue the hobby and what we consider to be the hobby and, you know, just how many people are engaged in that. Maybe that particular portion of the question, how many people are out there might be best served in my annual talk with Jasper in the uh, great Wargaming survey. But in the meantime, I, I guess we could kind of, probe the edges, so to speak, and see see what we come up with. So, gents, let, let's get cracking. So, I, I guess what we really need to figure out is, is it worth figuring out where the boundaries lie in the miniatures wargaming hobby? Do we need to define, should, you know, should we define what it means, what we mean by miniatures games and Yeah, board I games? think so. I mean, and and other games for that matter. The way I look at it, you've sort of got an arc, overarching um, arch, architecture for this. I think at the top you've got tabletop games, people who play games on a tabletop, or they could use a floor if they so wish. Basically, they they take a flat surface and they mm-hmm. play a game on or around that. Sure. Yeah, and, and then from there you can go down and you've got you've got products which come in a single package that you can take that package open it and play a game you know for so board games i think fit into that category because on the whole a board game comes as a self-contained item um but then again you also get in 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 that category you Mm -hmm. get living card games you get card games uh you get some starter sets, you know, but basically there's things that you can just pull something off a shelf and play a game, and that's it. That's all you need. And then you've got items outside of that category, categorization, which I think miniatures games and and and, and war games fit, uh, fit into because generally with those you need a selection of products to play a game. You you can't just pull a a rule book off a shelf and play a game. You need. Mm-hmm. Other things, you know, you need possibly figures, dice, terrain, right. measuring implements, all sorts of other stuff. But I think, as a, you know, from, from my definition, I see a board game as being something that's a self-contained item that has everything you need to play it. Excuse me, mm-hmm. just one second. You're going to get biscuit. You were, you were. <laughs> You were kind of, oh, well, correction. Have you things like, I mean, have you seen my collection of Mansions of Madness? Or like, well, even the Deep Madness game I had yesterday. When you say, yo, yes, board games are self-contained. Did you see how many boxes I had to carry around with me? The core box of Mansions of Madness comes in a box. You can take that box off the shelf and play Mansions of Madness, can't you? If you choose to expand your expansions, yes, and that's a whole thing. Yeah, exactly. More, you, you would, you, you would. But I, I gotta, I gotta interject here real quick because I think, I think you're on the right, you're starting out on the right path. But I think there's a fatal flaw in that, in using that as a definition for board game, and that is, you know how many starter boxes mm-hmm. have GW produced, for example, or any other company for that matter. You know, you can play 
you can play Warhammer 40,000 out of the box without adding anything else. Now, whether or not that's their intent is another matter. Because at the end of the day, you know, they've got, what, 25 different factions now. I mean, they're not going to fit 25 factions in a single box. But you can play a game of Warhammer 40,000 out of the box with the miniatures, dice, measuring devices, little bits of terrain that they include these days. You know. uh, yeah, but how are you going to get the miniatures off the sprues? Do they include a cutter? Do they include the glue to put Oh, you know, being completely okay. about okay, it. Okay, 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 Mr. Hobbs, uh, Mr. Hobbs, if you want to be fantastic, does that mean that, uh, does that mean that um, either, I don't know, the uh, Command and Color Samurai Battles expansion, uh, does that mean that wasn't a, that wasn't strictly a board game? Does that mean that the great, the first edition of Great War that PSC Games brought out, where you had to cut the cut the miniatures off the sprue in order in order to play the game is that then a, min- a miniatures game as opposed to a board game because you needed a um a, a cutter to cut the things off the sprue yeah okay so sometimes <laughs> the lines can be blurred <laughs> and yes the, the pedancy all of us start coming yeah, out indeed yes, uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that the you know self-contained, relatively self-contained in a box, I'm, that might be an important aspect of being a board game. Certainly, because yeah, the the box box sets for 40k or Epic or Kill Team mm-hmm. or Clan War, for example, or Vor yeah. or Warzone. Yeah, those are those are specifically designed to be starting places starting points and you know your 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 uh fantasy flight games folks you know they're they're banking on expansions you know in some cases they plan the expansions while they're while they're making the games for example so yeah i i it's a tricky one isn't it yeah i i I think that that might be that might be it's a tricky one to define and it and if we have trouble defining exactly what a board game is Mm. To, as opposed to Minch's game, you know, it, it does show you, you know, the, the difficulty you have then in differentiating between the, the sub, the various sub genres. No, so, I was thinking about this this morning, and, and again, yeah. uh, Games Workshop came to mind. And something I was thinking when the first edition of Space Hulk came out, was that ever described as a board game? Because I don't think it ever was. I mean, as potentially, you know, um, as we would think of it, in essence, Space Hulk, rather than be, uh, you know, rather than, uh, I suppose, in, in the widest, in, in the widest sense of the word, Space Hulk is a board game in in all its in all its mm. aspects. However, was it ever marketed as such, or was it just marketed as oh? Actually, you're just playing in an enclosed space, and we've included uh, the terrain for you to do so. Yeah, it, it just marked it as a game, was I mean? That, the, the, yeah, that was. I mean, I thought that was an interesting. One. I mean, okay. Uh, can I just add something into the uh, into the mix here? Because I was watching. Um, I one of the YouTube channels I subscribe to is the Tabletop Minions channel, um, and. Uh, mm-hmm. 
the presenter on there, Atom Smasher, uh, does kind of uh, 10, 15 minute, uh, almost like food for thought and uh, uh, videos every couple of days. Mm-hmm. And there was one he came up with recently, which is kind of pertinent to uh, our discussion here, where he was talking about, funny if he was talking about uh, the whole thing with, especially with the way that uh, miniatures have uh, made their way into board gaming. Whether you know, you know, that's the second question. You know, where does the line now come? And I must admit, there was something he said, which to a certain extent quite annoyed me. And that was, he was like, okay, well, well they make they make great um, introduction games and then you, into proper wargaming. And then once somebody's played a board game with miniatures, you can then, uh, you know, they're, they're, yeah, you can then introduce them into proper wargaming. Oh, I hate that joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the hackles on the back of my neck rose up at, um, or, well, that was kind of the terminology he was doing into playing a proper war game as opposed to playing miniatures, uh, you know, playing a board game with miniatures. And as, I mean, you know, we're already talking about blurred lines here. I mean, especially when you start, start talking like games like, um, Okay, uh, the classic one I'm thinking of here is Mythic Battles Pantheon, um, where that is designed... Okay, it's played on a board. Uh, a board which, funnily enough, is about the same size as the board, or, or maybe just sli- only slightly smaller of the board that comes in Kill Team. Because, let's face it, the, the board that comes in Kill Team is quite small. Okay, it's not your traditional four-foot-by-four-foot table is it it's it's a much smaller thing they turn out okay here's your you know here's your terrain to, to play on for kill team um okay it's divided into areas it's not squares but it's just areas on a map other than that it's designed it is a skirmish game it is a you know uh, you, you know you have units and you do battle um is that anything you know is that any less of a war game than Kill Team, the aforementioned Kill Team, um, simply because of you know, because I mean, actually, in some ways, you could argue, well, hang on, surely it's a, it's a bigger, you know, it's potentially more of a game because you, you potentially got more units on the field for a start. You still have all that decision making to make, uh, and uh, you know, you're still doing combat, and already we're kind of it, probably further into the discussion that than we want to be, but. It was just something that cropped up, and it, it, it's pertinent to the discussion because, as we're saying, um, just simply turning around and defining something as a board game uh, or a miniatures game, perhaps we're even using starting to use the wrong definitions. Uh, you know, um, because when you say, "Okay, it's a miniatures game." Well, what do you mean by that? Because, as I say, these days, uh, especially with the way the production values have gone with uh, uh, with board games, and uh, you know, especially uh, the way that they've been manufacturing a lot of stuff in China, so production costs have come right down. 
um, what used to you know, it used to be a case of everything was traditionally produced in wood and cardboard uh, these days, and because hey, it looks good, um, uh, you know, board game uh, board game pieces are now produced as miniatures. Uh, I mean, we had the pleasure of playing a game together yesterday. Um, and uh, I'm sure no one accused us of teaming up so you could win, Mr. Hobbs. Uh, we didn't team up. You threw a queen alien at me. Yeah, yeah. The, and, the, and, the, and, then you, and, the, and then you got off the ship and I blew it up for you so you could win. What's the, what's the problem? Um, just, you know, I mean, you know semantics. You know, I, I, was just sca- I was just hurrying you along, young man, you know. Uh, anyway, but... but anyway. Uh, we were, if you're wondering what the heck was going on, we were we happened to be playing Nemesis, uh, because uh, which is a, a recent board game um, was kickstarted about eighteen months ago. Um, I now it appears quite foolishly only went for single sh- uh, single wave shipping, so I haven't got my copy yet. But uh, a good friend Ralph Plowman uh, brought along his copy, and we all met up in uh, in, in Firestorm Games uh, to uh, to play this game and a couple of others for the day but uh, slight digression but that was the context of the, that discussion however the thing about that is that if you look at the miniatures that come with that game okay it's basically aliens on a spaceship the miniatures mm-hmm. of the aforementioned aliens in three or four different you know stages including lava um Warriors, Queen, are gorgeous. They are really nice, and same with the crew miniatures as well. You know, they're really good sculpts and and something that you would uh, that that anybody would would not be unhappy about painting and using in any of your sci-fi miniature war games that you were playing. You know, they are just as good. Mm-hmm. So, because of that, all of a sudden, as I say, this is where you suddenly think, well, hang on, is the definition of a miniatures game, has that now fundamentally changed simply because of the production practices of several different companies? I think that it speaks to, I think that the, the use of miniatures in what are otherwise considered board games speaks to a uh, how do I want to put this a a way of thinking of course that you know as as mm. our mutual friend Dave Luff would say it's just a token you know I, I there are I mean for crying out, <clears throat> crying out loud if you've you know, looking at my Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader book, it's got sheets of heavy paper in the back with tokens of Space Marines and Orcs that you can cut out. The Warhammer 3rd Edition had, Warhammer Fantasy Battles 3rd Edition had paper mm. tokens of Elves and Orcs you could cut out and play the game with. So, you know, at the end of the day, our miniatures... Well, granted, it's this is a significant part of the hobby. The construction and painting and basing of the miniatures is a significant part of the hobby. You know, at, at the end of the day, you know, they are just tokens. 
and you can play any any miniatures game with paper, plastic, wooden tokens. So this uh, I, I wonder, and this 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 is what makes me wonder: Does it even matter? No, it, it doesn't. You know, does it even matter that? that board games and miniatures, the lines are definitely blurring. I, th- I think we can agree on that. And I wonder if it's worth, <clears throat> I wonder if it's worth making that differentiation. And as far as, you know, beyond a marketing term, you know, I think that there's, I think that there's levels, you know, to borrow from fuzzy logic, um, you know, I think there's levels of board gaminess mm. and miniature gaminess, if that makes sense. And there's there's no, there's no such thing as, well, I guess if you get into your abstract board games, I mean, you know, like Go, you know, <laughs> it's, it's I guess you could have miniatures for that, but at the you know at the end of the day, they're just tokens. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, for example, let's, let's take for example, uh, you know, uh, a, a game we've discussed before. Want to know one of your favourites, Jay? Commander mm-hmm. Colors. Uh, you know, we know for a fact that when Richard Borg plays Commander Colors, designer of the game, and when he's playtesting, he doesn't use counters; he uses his miniature collection. Because, from yeah, uh, it, uh, I, I, and yeah, I think he's made comment on, comment on it in the past. I, I mean, yeah, and, and obviously some some companies have produced it. I've gone and produced it in that that way. When you look at things like you know the Great War uh, version, Memoir Forty Four, um, Samurai Battles, mm-hmm. uh, the forthcoming Red Alert version thereof. Uh, they come with miniatures. I mean, and even say so something like Red Alert, especially when Battle Lore, uh, that both editions. Uh, oh, bat- yes, certainly Battle or both editions of Battle Lore. Battle Lore, yeah. uh, Battles uh, of Westeros, also the uh, uh, Game of Thrones version. Yeah, and right back to, uh, and and right back to um, the American Civil War version. Um, Battle Cry, which uh, Battle Cry, that was it. When even when even when um, when it was first produced came with miniatures and that was the and that was the very first and that was the very that the avalon hill one was the was the first commanding colors version that was produced battle cry mm-hmm. and that came with miniatures yeah uh so it, it, i mean yeah you know uh sometimes mm-hmm. when we start thinking about you know the likes of you know commanding colors and, and people automatically start thinking about or putting stickers on blocks well that was only a kind of a, a production decision that gmt games made mm-hmm. And uh, and and it says it's interesting when when you look at something like Red Alert, for example, um, when we saw it, uh, when we saw it when uh, PSC f- uh, first previewed the game at, uh, at UK Games Expo, uh, we walked around the corner. And it was like, wow, this is big. And it's like, oh, it's not a board; it comes with a mat. Yeah, <clears throat> because the board you know the it's 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 too it's too big for a board it comes it comes with a you know it's basically a a a hex cloth yeah um uh so it's a it is a space battle mat uh and then with your aforementioned miniatures uh so so yeah whereas um certainly commanding colors where you know a lot a lot of people would uh 
a lot of people would, uh, in the form of a better phrase, pigeonhole that uh, as a board game. Uh, but uh, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it's, as you say, it doesn't take much to start moving the lines. And uh, but, uh, but as as you've already asked, you know, does it actually matter? And uh, actually, is it more of a case of uh, it's it's interesting where uh, you know at, okay. We talk about okay, what what is the difference? Where does you know where where do things blur? And uh, you know, is it a question of mechanics? Because uh, you start to think, oh well, okay, is it a case of uh, different you know, different ways of activating miniatures, uh, or sorry, activating units, for example? Well, most of the things you do with uh, you know, okay. The, you've got the traditional, well, okay, I will now activate more of my units or active, uh, alternate activations and what have you in more traditional war games. Uh, but you also have card activation, dice activation uh, in both war games. And, you know, they appear more often in board games, but that that activation mechanic is still there. Right. Um, <clears throat> So you know, so so what else is left? Is it you know, is it, uh, you know, because obviously dice is a common thing between both sides of things, and then uh, you start looking at anything else. Okay, maybe it's the multiplayer aspect. Uh, you know, maybe it's a case of miniatures games are more traditionally one v one, and maybe sometimes board games are. Perhaps easier to have a multiplayer aspect to them, uh, because. But having said that, you know, a lot of them are again, you know, especially when when you're having war games, as in their you know, these battles, they're still designed for one v one. So as you say, when you start looking at it, going well, okay, the, you know, what different aspects of the game that you have, you suddenly start going, well, hang on a second, aren't these the same thing? Yeah, it, it, just real briefly, um, something that I think that is generally considered a hallmark of a board game over a miniatures game is some type of uh, some type of area area based movement, area based combat resolution. You know, whether it's hexes or squares or something else, mm. um, is typically referred to as a board game it's a hallmark of a board game mm. and you know with the previous example of of uh space hulk you know you know is is that a board is that a board game i mean you've got a variable board if it is you know <clears throat> and and I, I think i think maybe games workshop whether or not they refer to it as a board game I'm, i would imagine that was probably more of a marketing decision than anything else because you know, if you listen to them, they're not a part of the miniatures wargaming hobby. They are the Games Workshop hobby, mm. you know. <clears throat> and then, you, you know, I, I think it's it's pretty cut and dried in my mind that, well, maybe it's not cut and dry now. I think about it. You know, Blood Bowl. You know, is is Blood Bowl a board game simply because it's on a set board with spaces on it? 
you know, and we've already discussed commands and colors. But then you got to think about the rules for the common man line from Peter Pig. Mm. You know, with with squares. Yeah. You know, or to the strongest, or something more, uh, or something like Rommel. Yeah, or uh, or thing. if I can, or if I can bring a painful memory for you, Neil Exilis. Yeah, thank, which yeah, thanks is, for that, Jake. Which is another, which is another thing, because that gets into computer gaming. But we'll we'll Can talk I about that here shortly. I'm sure. Say, I, I think we're probably overthinking it. And Jay, I think you put the nail on the head um, about five minutes ago when you said it's. A, you said it's a marketing thing. People, I think, any type of gamer, anybody who plays games, will know what. Their, their definition of a board game or a miniatures game or a war game or a card game is. And it might be completely different to anybody else's. And, you know, we've probably proven that just from the theorists trying to work out what, what one is. So I think manufacturers will badge a game as a certain type of game because they know it will attract that, that marketplace. And that's possibly why GW didn't market Space Hulk as a board game. Because they're the, the people who played GW games probably weren't board gamers, and you know, so as it, it was a marketing point just to put it down as a game, when you know it, it is a, a board game. So same as Blood Bowl could be seen as a board game, but they just marketed it as a game. So it's a pure marketing thing. So I don't get hung up on the whole definition of what type of game is what type of game, and. That's probably why I changed my Twitter handle recently to to Hobbs the Gamer, mm-hmm. because I don't see myself as being a war gamer anymore, or a board gamer, or a role player. I play games, mm-hmm. I and I just play the games that appeal to me. Yeah. So, you know, so when it comes to talking about the the, the tents and the size of the tent, the tent is huge. The tent is as big as you want it to be. Because whatever type of game you want to play, there will be a game out there for you. Mm-hmm. So it's it's another it's another thing reason why um, when we came back uh, from our uh, our podcast hiatus, uh, I changed the tag name of the sh- of the show uh, to uh, Adventures in Tabletop Gaming. Now that may sound uh, you know uh, I don't know, uh, but it was it was for the same thing uh because uh interestingly um uh you know we'd especially the games that we'd both been playing um uh, more recently uh, were not just a bespoke you know what would be viewed as traditionally as a war game uh we're doing all sort yeah we're doing all sorts of stuff and uh, and yeah, it, it, yeah, I, I agree with Mike. Is that the uh, tabletop gaming now uh, is such a thing that yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it depends how people at the end of the day want to label themselves because. Um, <clears throat> You know, yeah, using the tent analogy, uh, yeah, it may well be a a very big, a very big marquee, if you like, 
But certainly within that, you know, you can almost see you know, little two-man, three-man tents popping up all over the place where people want to, uh, you know, where people kind of encapsulate themselves within certain parts of the hobby. But uh, you know, that's still within that bigger aspect. Exactly. You Again, that's, that's a great analogy because some people will put themselves into one part of the hobby and they're quite happy staying in there. You know, and when I hear people sort of saying, you know, the hobby is great and then we need to get more people to play our games. Well, no, you play the games you want to play. Uh, you know, other people will play the games they want to play. It's, you know, it, it's quite interesting looking at um, Salute, which is you know, the UK's biggest miniatures game um, event, shall we say. Yeah, you know, it it is a a, a war gaming event. It's a you know, it, it, it's a miniatures gaming event. You know, when they get in one day, what was seven thousand people on average through the door? Um, yeah, uh, about yeah, about, about that. Like, yeah, and then you compare that to the UK Games Expo, which is a essentially it was a board game event originally, wasn't it? Well, it was it was a table. It was a table. It was a game. It was a gaming yeah. event. Yeah. So it was a, board a game. Event. It was board. It was a, a, a primarily originally it was a board game, uh, board game, card game, and role playing event. Yeah, where you get thirty thousand people through the door over three days, over you know taking over a massive hotel and a good proportion of the national exhibition centre. You know, it it dwarfs salute in size and the number of people there. And the demographic of people who go there, and they're now starting. You start now to see miniatures companies, wargaming, traditional wargaming companies, go to the expo because they know that there's a huge market there that they need to tap into if they want to survive. So, tent is huge. It's um, if we want to wrap ourselves into a smaller clique and moan because there's not many people in that clique, then that's only our fault. You know, if if a bunch of fifty-year-olds sat around a, t- a table playing Napoleonics, I'm only because there's no kids around. Well, that's because the kids are probably in the next room, having a whale of time playing millions of different games that people of our age probably have never even heard of. And I'm quite enjoying venturing out into that area. I'm having a great time seeing what mm-hmm. else is out there. Yeah, I mean, at, at... It, it it it's almost worth saying you know it's it's not worth it's not worth getting wrapped around the label miniatures game board game if all you're going to do is use those use those terms to shoehorn yourself into playing only certain games you know if you want to use it as a quick descriptor i think that's fine you know we can we can go back and forth about exactly where those lines lie if you want, but at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know? Um, well, there it is, folks. That's the episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna shoehorn yourself into one particular, you know, if you're going to plant your flag and say, I'm a miniatures war game or I don't play war game or I don't play board games. Okay, that's fine, but you're missing out on a hell of a lot of fun. 
you know? And, you know, limiting yourself that way, you know, I mean, that's fine if it's an exercise in, in, you know, it's fine if you're limiting yourself from the aspect of, well, I only want to do this because I only have time for this. And I, you know, whatever it is, I take a long time painting. I take a long time figuring out the rules. I take a lot of time in researching the orders of battle and and that sort of thing. That's fine, I guess. But if you're going to use those terms as a, as for, you know, pejorative purposes, you know, to make fun of or mock somebody for their hobby, you know, that's not fine. You know, you, no, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, it's not my, it's not my place and it's not anybody's place really to look down on or view negatively how someone else pursues their hobby because at the end of the day no matter what you call it it's your hobby and if your hobby is you know it's like i said at the end of my last episode on the q a episode if if your hobby is punching little cardboard tokens out of sheets of cardboard tokens or (laughs) putting stickers on hundreds of wooden blocks then great that's awesome you know do 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 it great love it you know but if your hobby is you know collecting dice of various colors and shapes groovy man get on it but don't don't think less of me because i don't pursue the hobby in the way that you do you know as long as no one's getting hurt and everyone involved is wants to be there you know what difference does it make Yeah, very worthy well and well said, mate. Um, there is another subject that we probably want to cover in five minutes, if we could. I, I don't and think that's that possible is... with this crew, but go ahead. We'll, we'll <laughs> From a manufacturing point of view, I think the biggest thing that I've seen is the crossover between certain genres, whereas before... We had people who wrote just war games rules or board games. We're now seeing people picking up types of mechanics from other types of games and incorporating yes, them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's probably where, where the miniatures. Yeah, and that's probably where the miniatures aspect comes in because I think a lot of board gamers went, well, you know, if, if we do pretty miniatures and we get we can do this over Kickstarter and get them to pay for, it, that's going to attract a whole different bunch of people who probably never mm-hmm. played a board game. Mm. And vice versa, we're seeing, you know, board game mechanics being used in war games. I mean, Saga is a perfect example. And 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 to be honest, that was, you know, I, I would argue that was kind of, that was almost revolutionary. Uh, there were, you know, there was a lot of things as far as that was concerned that, it, well, let's say it, it came along and that created massive waves, didn't it? Because it because it you know from. Uh, a lot of people, I said, a lot of games turned. I said, "What on earth is this? I've never seen this before." And uh, and then, yeah, there's a whole aspect. Of, oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's just using dice act- dice activation mechanics. Yeah, but it was yeah, it's so, revolutionary, wasn't it? And uh, hmm. yeah, and that is a, I think that's a far more important thing in the hobby, is that we're now seeing the crossover between the different streams, and I think a lot of manufacturers are sort of seeing themselves as being part of a greater hobby and learning from what they can, you know, learning from 
other part of the, the hobby mm-hmm. themselves. You know, it's when when Fantasy Flight did a role playing game that was basically a board game crossover. That was huge. Got a lot of pushback from traditional role, role players. You know, and but a lot of board gamers then had a way into to yeah. role playing. Yeah, so it's 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 always crossing over and showing people what's just, possible. Just to clarify, Mike, which game particularly in particular are you referencing? Oh, that sorry, that that was um, Warhammer uh, role playing. So Warhammer Fantasy role playing game version okay. three, which started off as a, a a traditional role playing game, and then Fantasy Flight got the license and essentially turned it into a board game with role play mm-hmm. mechanics. Um, which is a very interesting way of doing it. And it did get a lot of flack, and now it's gone back to Cubicle 7, who have um, moved it back into a more standard role-playing yeah, game. Yeah, well, I mean, that's isn't that what Wizards but, of the Coast did with D&D, what, 4th edition? You know, with the Legend of Drist and the Castle Ravenloft thing and the Wrath of a Shardalon? I mean, because those mm. were... Maybe a, a slimmed down version, but those were pretty much D and D fourth edition, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and as uh, yeah, as games concerned, they're you know for uh, they're a great amount. Yeah, they're a great deal of fun um, for what they are. Um, However, uh, one would argue whether uh, one would argue whether or not they're they're a role playing experience. But then, at the same time, you get those people that would then argue what certain editions of D anD D actually became. But that's a completely yeah. different discussion. So, we'll, question, so yes. we'll step away from that one. <laughs> well, I, I think. Well, yeah. just real briefly, I think I think you can make any game a role playing game if your head's in the right place. You know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You know, if you're playing, you know, if you're playing Rommel, you are playing the role of a divisional commander. If you are playing, you know, <laughs> that was the cat. <laughs> <laughs> no, for those, I might go. Yeah, I'll keep this in. Um, using Zencaster, you have a, uh, you have a some hot buttons at the top of your screen and somehow the cat activated the one for ball for drums and ballpark. So bravo Shrek. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, I, I, I thought you were just about to en- emphasize a really important point. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> um, no, you're, I mean, depending, you know, it doesn't matter the game. If you can get into the game and, any game can be a role-playing game, you know, because a role-playing game isn't necessarily having charisma. Well, most gamers don't have charisma anyway, but, <laughs> you know, it's not a matter of having such and such stat for charisma or wisdom or willpower or whatnot. It's it's about getting into that role. And like I said, you know, if you're playing Rommel, you're playing the role of a divisional commander. If you're playing Cruel Seas, you're a... You know, you're a literal naval uh, flotilla commander, or if you're playing X-wing miniatures, you're a you're a squadron leader. So, if you're getting into the role, you're getting into the role, and I, I see it in the quote-unquote more friendly games. 
you know, a lot more. And sometimes you see it in uh, convention games, you know, uh, a good, I think a good convention or show game runner will encourage the players to take on that role. So, you know, case in point, you know, the, the classic example is anytime Games Workshop takes one of their games uh, on a demonstration basis to a show or convention, and there are orcs on the table. They encourage the orc players to yell wah every time they roll the dice. You know? Or any, anything, anytime anything particularly orky happens, you know, they, they get the whole orc side to yell wah! So, yeah, I, I think that that's another place where the lines blur somewhat, somewhat, and I think I think it's a net benefit because at the end of the day, if if the people playing it are having more fun because of that, all the better, you know. Mm. Yeah, and and that's the main thing. Games are about having fun. Sometimes you you sort of forget that. Yeah, and yeah, I think that. There's definitely something there, and a little bit more on, you know, the the mechanisms blending and whatnot. I think that there's with the further blurring of the lines between miniatures and board game. Uh, I think a good example of that might, you know, is uh, is X-wing miniatures because X-wing miniatures has, mm-hmm. you know, all the tokens and statuses and and whatnot, and, you know, I, you know, Le- you know, uh, Star Wars Legion, you know, it's got those, you know, the tokens for various statuses, and you've got the cards that come along with the figures for uh, different abilities, and Imperial Assault, well, Imperial Assault is definitely more along the board games uh, spectrum, or line, more along the, the board games end of the spectrum, but you know, but it has a skirmish but you mode. Play it as a skirmish game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and so, yeah, so you play it as a uh, as a small as a small unit skirmish game. And at that point, what is to what differentiates? Especially okay, well, especially when you start considering the fact that um, in order to make Kill Team easier to use, when Kill Team came out, you have cards for each of your yeah. each of the each of the characters in your um yeah you know, like in your two uh, uh in the in the two units that came in the box game mm-hmm. you had cards for each trooper didn't you yeah that different that that described their abilities yeah um hang on a second doesn't imperial assault have that uh it's a limited it's a limited number of troops per side the only thing that is the difference is the fact with imperial assault you uh the board is built, and your movement is delimited is is, is delineated, uh, yeah, whatever that word is, uh, by squares as opposed to by some sort of measuring device. Yeah. Other than that, but what's the difference between imperial assault and skirmish mode and kill time? Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's so, a great question, and I, I think it, you know, it brings to mind some of the other stuff that GW has done recently. You know, with the different strategy cards or they call them stratagems or whatever it is they call them. And, you know, they've long had special abilities for, for different units and whatnot, but they got the strategy cards and there's all this, this other kind of deck and on all the additional things. And, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe it's just a, a crass money grab, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, 
Games Workshop's a company. They got to sell stuff to stay in business. So, you know, I can't fault them for that. Um, mm. And then that, you know, speaking to a to a larger sense, you know, that kind of taps into the type of gameplay that people might come at come at it from a magic player perspective with you know setting up just the right combination of effects uh to make that killer combo you know just just by just as an example you know so there's definitely some some uh carryover there i feel anyway can i ask a question fantasy flight games they are the, the the perfect one to ask about this are they a board game manufacturer or are they do you think when you think of fantasy flight games do you think board games or do you think it's something else that's an interesting question especially between uh what is that that rune wars game mm. you know but then again i mean i look at fantasy flight as primarily as a games game company mm. i mean they they are a now they're owned by Asmodee, but if you well, if you go to their retail store in Minnesota, they have 40k stuff. You know, they have Age of Sigmar stuff. They have, uh, you know, their retail space has other companies' stuff in it, and they've got some very nice miniature yeah. game tables set up. You know, and of course, we can't talk. We can't talk too long without talking about food they've got a very competent cafe <laughs> in in there also where you can get some pretty some pretty nice uh some pretty nice eats as well but uh no fantasy flight i i view fantasy flight as a game company because they have card games they have board games they have miniature games now between legion and uh and legion and that- x-wing and they're branching out to role-playing as well and okay and yeah yeah let, let me ask a follow-up they, they are a ta- they are a tabletop game company okay. yes if you walked into a a gaming area where hundreds of people are playing games could you spot a fantasy flag game just by looking at it without knowing yeah the title it's the one with, <laughs> it's the one with all the chits and cards around it <laughs> yeah. yeah they they've they've literally invented themselves as this company that yeah they, they have a certain ip don't they um it's been really interesting for me following the sort of je- genesis of fantasy flight games it's you know so you know, when i when i picked up the warhammer third edition and saw the mechanics they had in there, I recognized those mechanics being carried forward, like the dice mechanics being carried forward into the Star Wars role-playing game. I saw the the cards, the use of cards they have in in lots of other games. Oh, so custom you, dice also. Yeah, custom dice, little cards, little, you know, use uh, sort of um, character cards, equipment cards, item cards, that sort of stuff. You sort of, can follow and, and with the, the the card games they all you know we can see a, a, a direct evolution of the card games from the very early sort of lord of the rings card game up through um arkham horror the um and then on to the legends of five rings and everything else you can see this sort of evolution mm. as a game but they always have this feel of a fantasy flight game 
and probably in a similar way is GMT. You can oversell a GMT game. You look at it. So it's I, I don't know what sort of point I'm trying to make here, but it's 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 about games companies looking and how they they feed into the hobby. And fantasy fight games are feeding into so many aspects of the hobby, but using similar mechanics in lots of very different types of games. Mm. I mean, okay, let's uh, let's take uh, another company um, that is currently quite close to Mr. Hobbs's heart. Um, Simon, uh, <clears throat> you may have purchased the odd game by Simon recently, m- m- might you, Mr. Hobbs? I've already purchased two. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, but again, it, you know, <laughs> yeah, and uh, they were, you know, they have become uh, yeah, in, in similar thing. You know, one of the things they have, uh, uh, they are known for, uh, or have become known for over over recent years, is producing games that okay, uh, they come in a box, but they have uh, attached to them um, a metric shed load of miniatures uh and not only just any old miniatures but really good miniatures um okay um the production process has taken a while and some of their earlier stuff work you know isn't as good as some of the stuff they're producing now uh you know but yeah you start looking at a lot of you know a lot of the stuff that they they produced really uh recently and uh yeah, you'd be happy for uh, to paint those miniatures and put them on any table in any game. Um, and again, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it's a company that has decided that actually, okay, we're producing a certain type of game. Obviously, I suppose the biggest title they're known for these days is Zombieside, and all its uh, and all its spin-offs. But whether it's that or whether it's things like they've been doing with. Um, Things like Rage or um, the stuff they did with um, uh, with Blood Rage and Rising Sun. Um, you know, I mean, the, it, no, I think no one would dispute potentially that it's like, like, like Blood Rage, for example, is a miniatures game. Sorry, it's it's a you know it's it, it's a board it, you know it's a board game, or I would view it as a board game. But crikey. Hasn't it got some decent miniatures in it? You know, you know, it's uh, you know, these um, these classic as as we would de- deem dudes on a map, <laughs> you know, dudes on a map or dudes on a board style game. Again, where and this is something where we're going back to what we were talking about earlier, where oh, it's it's just a token. Uh, you know, years ago, they would have been uh, either card discs or or or, or wooden cubes or just just something to. You know, something to denote some, you know, you know, denote influence in an area. Whereas, uh, whereas now, you know, every faction not only has its own, uh, you know, has its own unique miniature in its own color, in its own color, and you know, and uh, uh, what have you. But and so, what to the point of making the same way that you can spot a Games Workshop game, you can spot a Fantasy Flight game, you can spot a Simon game, uh, because you know. Uh, they, you've got companies that have decided that actually what we're going to do is we're going to produce games that appeal to a certain demographic. 
you know, if you uh, so if you want a game that is uh, that would appear to be relatively uh, okay, so relatively easy to pay, but has a play that has a load of uh, good quality miniatures that that because it's a, okay, it's a classic one because it's a board game, you don't have to paint them. Um, then uh, you know, let's get into uh, let's get into Zombieside, and we'll play um, and we'll play Zombieside Black Plague. We didn't have time, which we didn't, Mike, did we? Yeah, we didn't have time. We ran out of time. Yes, uh, but yeah. So you know, um, so yeah, it's uh, it is interesting how yeah, and as I said earlier, yeah, marketing thing. How especially it seems that. Uh, companies have found that there is a big, you know, uh, whilst the board game community is huge, and you know, would argue much huger, huger than the miniature wargaming, um, uh, yeah, as a as a particular area, if you want to get crossover, um, what do you do? Um, because let's face it, you don't get people much more fanatical about their hobby than the average 40k player. And if you can get people interested in your game and willing to uh, put that much effort into your game as they do into what they normally play, then you have recruited somebody for your game that will shout it from the rooftops because we yeah i think a, a lot of us have been so used to um shouting about our hobby because we're a little niche in the corner but i mean it's, you know, it's one reason why we podcast uh you know we shout about what's good out there and hey this is good gzg GZG is good. Yeah. Ground Zero Games. Very much so. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, but this is what this, but this is the sort of thing, this is what I'm sort of thinking saying is that, you know, if you can, I think anything you can do or anything companies can do to widen their appeal and, you know, they have, yeah, they have, uh, you know, people have twigged that, you know, it, obviously one of the big things is production values and any game that needs, uh, that represents monsters or people. Um, whilst wooden blocks and shits is fine, wooden models look cool. Uh, sorry, um, models look cooler, and uh, you know if they, you know, they're they're cheap to produce, much cheaper to produce these days. So why not? Interestingly, I mean, okay, we were having a uh, there was a discussion happening yesterday uh, between uh, between two friends uh, talking about. Uh, the uh, the U boot game that is coming out. Um, don't know if you're aware of this, Jay. It's a uh, it's it's uh, okay. This is a board game. It's coming out with an app, uh, but you, you uh, the players take the part of um, take the part uh, of uh, members of U boat crew. Okay, so so mm-hmm. the game is you are running a U boat, uh, uh, running a U boat, and uh, performing various missions. And there was a discussion going on between two gentlemen, one of which bought the base game, and the other one spent almost twice as much money buying the base game. But what they also got was all the resin bits that go with it. So 
they have resin bits for the engine rooms and both the uh, and both uh, the uh, the twenty mil cannon and the eighty eight have actually full resin pieces, and uh, you know so, so basically there's a whole uh, basically you pay the extra money for a whole host of extra resin bits that go in that go in the the three because because the board is is a three D representation of U boat. Uh, but there's bits mm-hmm. that go in various areas. Do they do they add anything to the game? No. Uh, however, when you look at it, cool, it looks good. And in the same way with any sort of miniatures game. Um, okay, what point am I making here? Uh, okay, so for example, again, this is the thing of it's it's going back to it's just a token you mentioned rommel earlier um when we were playtesting rommel uh um one one thing we were sent out a a playtesting pack and it just included a whole bunch of stuff that you could cut out to represent a whole bunch of tokens that you could cut out to represent your uh, to represent your your units on on whatever playing surface you could use uh if you play um if you play Blucher, for example, uh, you have um, an official or a couple of official packs that you, that you make, purchase printed card uh, cards. For, for example, War of the Death, which means that you, you effectively have all the all the units that you need in order to fight the Peninsula campaign. Uh, but but mm-hmm. they are card. Um, you can play the game completely well, completely well with them, but some would argue, well, you know, there's no difference with the game, but it's simply a case of if you play with the card or do you play with a unit of troops? Uh, there is a certain aesthetic uh, attraction to using miniatures. And one of the things that's happened from, a, I think, a marketing point of view is that people have realised that if you produce a good-looking game with cards and chits, it attracts a certain you know, it has a certain attraction to it. You put miniatures right. in in yeah, you, know, you put miniatures into it, and boy, do you you know other people suddenly uh, sort of you know take up a, you know look up and take notice. And as you say, it's this thing of what? you walk into a game convention and you look across a board or look across a range of tables. What do you notice? Yeah, I, I think there's a certain aspect of 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 the hobby that includes you know blinging out the game. I, I I don't think that there's there's much argument there, and there's certainly there's certainly a section of miniatures gamers that are more into the look of the table than they are the play of the game. I mean, there's you know just just take a look at how many different uh, channels and Twitch streams of people just painting miniatures, you know, mm. that there are, or building terrain or whatnot. I, I think that that applies across the board. I mean, you know, companies like uh, Battle Foam, you know, releasing box inserts for storing your gear, you know, and all these other companies that sell add ons to their board games and card games and you know, for organizing or simply nicer tokens and 
all the rest. I, I, and, and again, I think that's great because, you know, a, if you can, I fully believe if you can make a game as visually attractive as you can, you stand a greater chance of attracting new people, you know, especially, you know, if you're playing that way in your basement, that's great, but you're not going to attract anybody else. And if, you know, at the end of the day, it may not be our individual purview, but I think it's in our individual interest to keep attracting new people to the hobby, you know, and, you know, that, that's why I think that if you are going to take a game out in public, you know, you need to have, you you should probably have painted miniatures, you know, if, if you're playing out, out in the wide open, especially, you know, I wouldn't want to take a game to a convention without at least minimally painted models, you know, but that, that's another topic. And I'm, I know I'm opening myself up to for flaming after saying, Hey, play the way you want to play in the last episode. But, uh, no, I think that there's, there's certainly something there. And, and I think that the, the analogy of looking at a show or a convention and being able to spot the, the different games, you know, just simply from their, uh, from their presentation and or you know the paraphernalia that's involved, uh, there I think there's a little bit more to it than that um, because you know different games do have different aesthetic uh, notions to them. You know, if if you see a building with flying buttresses and arched windows and doorways and, and that sort of thing, but there's robots then, and that's probably 40 K, you know, because they've established that, that dark Gothic, uh, aesthetic, you know, and, uh, I'm not quite sure where I was going with this comment, but, uh, you know, it's just, I think there's certainly something to be said for the aesthetics of a game. Um, And it's certainly, it's not the only thing though. So, you know, I've said in the past, a a really nicely presented (laughs) game with, with crap rules is still a nicely presented game with crap rules, you know? And, and, you know, there, but there are other aspects to it as well. I mean, if, if you're playing, what mm-hmm. is normally a fun game yeah. for you, but the people you're playing with are jerks, then it's going to be a crappy experience. You know, you've got to be hitting on all cylinders. And I think that, you know, it, it there's a combination of decent rules, decent visuals, and decent people. You know, if you got all those three together, then it's going to be great. Now for me, I can, I can sacrifice visuals for decent rules and decent people. And I dare say I would sacrifice, you know, for the right group of people, you can sacrifice the visuals and the rules and still have a good time. Cause at the end of the day, if you're having, it's pretty hard to have a fun time if you're playing with people that are just straight up assholes. Yeah. But are, are we sort of moving away from the uh, the subject at hand? 
Well, that's 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 a hallmark of a of a Neil and Mike production, isn't it? I, I just want you guys to feel at home. I feel, yes, uh, I feel like uh, yes, I feel like we're being complimented and damned in exactly the same sentence. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's nice. So no, <laughs> no, I, I think you're absolutely right. The uh, I'll, I'll get I'll get us back on track. Um, I think we can agree that at the end of the day, play what you want to play and it doesn't matter what it's called. I think, I think, however, there are some lessons to be learned from the different varieties of game. And I think that places, I think that places like uh, fantasy flight are blending and bending genres and game types to the betterment of the greater yeah. hobby um i think that there's there's a lot to be learned presentation wise and mechanics wise from across different types of games um i i do genuinely worry that at some point the hobby will or the hobby may sacrifice gameplay for production values. But I think at the end of the day, aside from flash in the pan, Kickstarter stuff, um, good yeah, gameplay does. wins out. And, uh, you know, if, if a game company tries to do too much or tries to bend things too much, there'll be some, you know, they'll, they'll find out, you know, either, you know, the sales just won't be there or there'll be a flash in the pan and then no one else will talk about it for forever, you know, except on the odd occasion that someone brings it up on a podcast, for example, yeah. you know, so, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you can trust the, the gaming hobby to embrace you know, quality of one type or another, you know, and re reject what's not quality. And there are certain aspects of the, there are certain people in the hobby that prefer the aesthetics and there are certain people in the hobby that prefer the, the gameplay or the preparation for the gameplay, however you want to put it, but it'll, it'll work out. It'll be fine. We'll be okay. You know, and, and at the end of the day, if you don't like what's being produced, you know, go back to the old favorites. There's nothing wrong with that either. No. Yeah, I guess the takeaway thing for this is if you're happy in your hobby as it is, then that's brilliant. But it's always worth having a look out and see what else is out there. Yeah, absolutely. It, there, mm. I don't think there's any danger to anybody in just simply taking a look at what, what else is out there. And, mm. um, you know, if, dare I say it, if you are, if you are a hardcore historical miniatures war gamer, you know, you know, maybe, maybe go ahead and give some of, you know, test the water somewhat and take a look at some of Sam Mustafa's stuff, you know, and it, it's a little bit off the beaten path, for example, but there's some, there's some things to be enjoyed there. You know, check out Blucher, play with just the cards, you know, see how that goes. You know, you may find that you enjoy it or, you know what, give commands and colors a try. You know, uh, 
you know, something like, as I say, I mean, especially that something that isn't too far removed, you know, you know, to the strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, obviously now uh, obviously there's, there's a whole set of ancients. There's now um, uh, you know English Civil War rules. They, uh, you know, I know Simon's working on on other variations as well. Um, but a similar sort of thing again. It is still massively recognisable as uh, a you know a, a miniatures war game. And I mean, the, the, the crazy thing is here is that. Um, uh, for example, Simon is well known for putting on big <laughs> games. Um, I mean, he, uh, you know, um, he decided that he wanted to do, he wanted to do a, a big Greek game. Okay, I think this was for Salute. Uh, so he ends up with, um, he has two, ta- he, he has, uh, he, he does a Peloponnesian War battle. I forget which one, but you know. The table's got about 4,000 pikemen on the board. Mm. Okay. This is 28 mil. And I did make comment to him when Two the Strongest came out. And uh, I said, so how many people actually realise they're playing a board game? And he looked at me with a kind of knowing smile and went, (laughs) shh, don't tell anybody. (laughs) I think that uh, I think that that encapsulates things pretty yeah. well, wouldn't you? I do. I think you got it just right there, mate. I, I think, yeah, I think that's that wraps everything up very nicely. So, I think, given our technical issues, this <laughs> is probably as good a place as any to go ahead and call it. Um, Mike, Neil, thank you very much for coming on again. And we just lost Neil again, thanks to the magic of the internet. I'm still here. I'm always here, Jake. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, uh, Neil, if if you can hear us, we're okay. Well, with your Neil, with your uh, very nice summation there, uh, I think that's as good a place as any to go ahead and call it a day, and. I think that there's a lot there's a lot to be explored with this question. I certainly hope we get some comments and feedback on this. Uh, dare I say it might be as close to a controversial topic as we've had, but I'm, I'm willing to take that risk because I'm, I'm always willing to give people their money back for what they paid for the episode. Yeah. That's fine. That's, that's, good. <laughs> that's, that's good. not a problem. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you're listening, please uh, let us know on Twitter on facebook uh on i'll get back to getting this stuff up on the blog so uh you can leave your comments i i do want to have i do want to continue the discussion and uh neil thank you very much for coming on and then dropping off and then coming on and then dropping off again mike uh appreciate you coming on as well uh no it's, problem, it's always a it's always a great uh time talking to you guys i really enjoy it um one of these days, one of these days, I'll I'll make it over to Blighty and we'll have a, a big podcaster gaming get together or something. We'll figure it out. So that's perfect. Yeah, I I, I think uh I think a, a war gaming 
Miniature, miniatures war gaming, please. None of that board gaming crap. Uh, <laughs> well, as long as we play proper miniatures. games, you know, proper, proper war games. Only, only proper games, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of the the baby smoking a pipe. I'm sorry, old bean. That's not the that's not the proper way to play toy soldiers. Uh, <laughs> so, on that note, as always, if the war gaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Better War Gamer is copyright J. Arnold 2019. Music courtesy of freemusicarchive.com.